This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. So what are some of those particular programming skills and, and the tools that you know today's natural hazards engineers need that maybe that you touched on in the workshop or or just in general, things that are are really necessary for that community as it as we work together. Yeah, I think this is a, a moving target. Uh, it, it's a permanently moving target. Uh, but I think we've reached a state where we have a lot of software, open source commercial software that can handle specific problems very well. Uh, but we do not have tools that can handle the complex problems when uh, from building analysis, from storm, wind, tsunami, earthquake, when that everything comes together. And our students often struggle that they say, oh, that cannot be done. And what typically, because that software cannot do it, that software cannot do it. The ones that go and engage into programming uh, need to learn that you cannot build that tool that can do anything or everything. It's too complex. Our goal is much more, we need to write software that make other packages talk to each other. Uh, typical uh, problem is how do I get maybe of, out of internet resources, information about building infrastructure, create from there structural models, run the simulation, get the output, maybe convert that uh, for uh, a risk assessment, a damage assessment software. And so a lot of the stuff that we have to write is actually converting output to new input, combining resources, collecting uh, data. And we are talking here about, in particular, uh, when you uncertainty goes in place, we are talking about terabytes. So that's, we are not talking about anything that you open up an editor and start doing by hand. It needs to be automated or there is a hard limit where you say, I cannot do this. I don't have that much time. Uh, I dedicate four years for a PhD, not three lifetimes. <laughs> and uh, so that's really the skill they need. And interestingly enough, that's a skill that isn't really taught anywhere uh, in the uh, hazard engineering community. Mm. It is, it's taught as part in computer science, but then you need almost a computer science degree to filter out from which class you need what. So that the big issue is that you don't need everything. You don't need the complexity that uh, is covered by a full computer science degree, but you need significant bits and pieces. And uh, that type of skill set is something that some students uh, get it through self-study, some take inter read internet tutorials, YouTube, uh, some take a course once in a while here in computer science. And if you talk with them, uh, they have some kind of skill that gets things to work, but they never went through a systematic uh, programming environment. Programming, uh, software planning, I think is the better way to say that. Yeah, they don't know how to plan it. They kind of go, they learned on the fly. Yeah, they just uh, wing it. <laughs> uh, like, uh, I would say they are better, but 
they pick it up in a class a bit here, a bit there. And so you find students, they have some great skills in one little ch chapter they need and a total gap in the other. And uh, that's, I think, once they start doing their research, they figure out we need to learn more. How do we learn more? And uh, we got very nice feedback where people said, I tried three online courses and I gave up on all of them because it was just too abstract or I felt alone. And that, that went into how we changed our course. That's mm. uh, what we really tried to do is to create the sense of community, to create the sense of collaboration while learning. Uh, because that seems to keep people engaged. And uh, that was something we tried to do in person first. And now that was really the single biggest issue is how can we recreate that? Because that's that's already a problem if you're normally teaching in a class. Yeah. You're sitting in the classroom and try to get five people to say, put your heads together and talk about that. Yeah. So if you're ever sitting in a classroom, in particular in an old university, you cannot even move the chairs. So how do you get people to collaborate? And that was where the online medium actually gave us an opportunity to change it to the better uh, by saying everything that I do normally in class as a lecture that goes on the video. Students said, we can watch it on our own time. We are used to this. There's nothing different to a YouTube course. So let's do that. But we put already in there interactive material where they can, while watching videos, they can already work on it. And then mm. they come to the boot camp. And what we did there is we, in the end, uh, third iteration, uh, no more lecturing. We do right away, let's get together. We have a bunch of exercises. They built on what we know you know. That's the, the one thing. We know you are a structural engineer, civil engineer, with some sort of that background. So we can use examples out of there. We, we can do something that looks familiar to you. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe you even remember was painful if you had to do it on your calculator. So let's start programming that. Uh, and then immediately, break them into small groups, have them work uh, on their problems. That alone wouldn't be enough. Uh, what we did there, what I think is the big thing, uh, the, the big route to success, we invited uh, former participants to serve as mentors and mm -hmm. help us to jump with these groups and work with them. So that way uh, it allowed us to bring the number of participants up to what we had while having a small learning environment. And uh, I think it, it goes a step further. We had a small group, we had the mentors, we had the instructors hopping between the groups to help out there. And our students themselves, as I mentioned earlier, they have different skills. So typically in every group, five to 10 people, you have one or two who already know something in this, hmm. who picked up the one or the other problem. So they start teaching each other. And we, play, we spend our time working on these problems, talking with the students, giving them time to talk, and then everybody back together and share. 
let's see what did we learn, share our mistakes, share our solutions, and takes a little bit of warming up to, for the students, but ask the students to take the screen, ask them to discuss. And so trying to create a bit of personal touch to something that is totally virtual across the globe. And I think this worked out so well that made a difference that I haven't seen in any real classroom environment uh, that made fun. Uh, that, and I think it created community. That's it's really important in, I mean, especially in this day, day and age, but, but also in even before COVID of uh, fostering that sense of network uh, in the natural hazards engineering community of, hey, we're not just structural engineers or geotechnical engineers or wind engineers, but we are a community of hazard engineers. How do we, how do we work together? How do we bring in the computer scientists who knows how to work with terabytes of data like the back of their hand? How do we work with a social scientist who talks to people and I don't really like talking to people, you know, like, Getting, getting these disparate skills together as, is, is really what it's all about. So that's, that's really encouraging that you're able to, to foster that in these boot camps. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Safe Radio. This show is sponsored by the National Science Foundation grant number 1612144. You can subscribe to Design Safe Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts please leave us a review so we can improve the show. Please also help others find our episodes in iTunes. Thanks for your feedback and support. You can find out more about Nary at designsafe-ci.org, on Facebook at Design Safe Radio, or on Twitter at Nary Design Safe.